Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. A presentation of Ex Libris Publishing, host Steve Jorgensen connects with a writer to share the vision and inspiration behind their works. Insightful, informative, and always entertaining, please welcome host Steve Jorgensen and this week's edition of Ex Libris On Air. Readings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Pedro and Carlos, written and illustrated by Susie Minus Tate and daughter Jacqueline Christine Renfro. Susie joins me today. Welcome to the program, Susie. Well, thank you, Jay. Pleasure to visit with you. Your very colorful book. You have uh, designed this as your first effort as an author. When and how did you begin getting the itch? to print something or get something into print, get a story out in the public? Well, I've always been an elementary school teacher, and as I was reading to my students and reading to my daughter, children's books have always been one of my favorite things, and and my interest in art also added to uh, my desire to make my own book, and uh, that's how it came about. Carlos and Pedro. Pedro and Carlos uh, actually is the title. Who is Pedro and who is Carlos, and where did these characters come from? Well, the the setting for the book, I got that idea from a scuba diving trip that I took in Cozumel, Mexico, and I was so fascinated with all of the the ocean environment in the colors and the in the variety of type of uh, species that that I wanted to take my themes and use that with the ocean environment. Pedro is an octopus and Carlos is a crab and they actually are predator and prey in mm. in uh, in our world. But yes. I use these two characters as unlikely friendships they become best friends, and even though they are uh, a lot of differences between them, and I use that to show how people and other things can become good friends, even though we have a lot of differences. Have you uh, used this story or this story line in the past in maybe your teaching environment and then fleshed it out for the book, or is this something that's a brand new concept or idea that you came up with? I have used it in the past. The book, uh, to me, I, I did have a lot of things in the book. I do have a lot of things in the book that I feel like are very relevant in the elementary school environment. Um, the themes of the book are based on friendship, true friendships, overcoming your fears, uh, accepting your differences with each other, and respect. I've, I feel like there are a lot of deep lessons in the book that, you know, I always uh, thought were important as a teacher. I'm retired now, but I felt like that this is something that even adults can benefit from as far as uh, just realizing that the world is full of variety of type of people and, and you can be friends and you can respect each other 
no matter what. What age category would you say your book would appeal to most? It's 22 pages, so it's not a long read. Uh, is there enough adventure in there to captivate the older children, or how would you describe it? The book is basically appropriate for second through even fifth graders like it. Mm. Uh, second through fourth, I feel like, is the the perfect age, but it you know, the younger children, they may not get all the themes of the book, but they like the book because of the color and the adventure that's there. Um, the prime prime uh, target would be second through fourth, but I really feel like the older children liked it, too, all the way up. Your illustrations, yeah, your illustrations are just spectacular. They must have taken a long time to complete. What medium did you use, and how long did it take? Well, I actually used acrylics. Uh, one of the things that it, this was kind of a book that I that I started before I was diagnosed with cancer, mm. and I set it aside for a good while, and. After I picked the book back up, it, I went through a second round of cancer treatments, and I took a leave from my teaching responsibilities. And by this time, Jackie was old enough to be my partner. Now, this is what has made the book so special to me, is I was facing a very serious situation with uh, breast cancer that had metastasized, and Instead of this being a, a negative time in our lives, we picked the book back up, and Jackie was seven. Mm. So the small illustrations in the book are actually hers. Wow. So this became a really fun project for us. Uh, we painted. We watched movies. We worked on the story together. I would read her the story and let her tell me what she thought. Um, and she helped me with the big illustrations, and it just turned into a really great experience. And, of course, I was enjoying getting to work on something I had wanted to finish for a long time, but it made it ten times more special for us to have done that together, and especially during the time that we did it. Spectacular. The, again, the illustrations are wonderfully colorful and very bright. They're uh, charming because uh, children love bright colors. Pedro and Carlos, the story. What is there about their story? I know you've mentioned the moral of the story, but is there a specific event in the book that's going to captivate the reader? Well, I feel like the, um, the action in the book... Where the two characters, they actually go too far from home against their mother's wishes. I had to throw the mother thing in. <laughs> um, but uh, they become, you know, at that point, one of the characters is pretending to be a brave crab. And they end up facing a moray eel, which is something that is very dangerous for an octopus and a crab. Mm -hmm. And they're way away from home. And it, to me, the exciting part of the book is how they come together and uh, save each other. It takes both of them to overcome their fears and to use their head. And they come out of the situation alive. 
And as Pedro, the octopus, goes through this experience, he grows to the point in maturity to where he's not willing to follow, uh, be pushed under peer pressure anymore. He, you know, at the beginning, he didn't want to go to the ship because he knew it was wrong. At the end, he's got enough self-confidence to tell his friend no. Uh, when he comes up with something else that he wants to do. So I feel like both characters grow and mature through that experience. Good underlying theme. Is there any way that you would describe this book to a grandparent, maybe get them interested in getting a copy for their grandchild or for their son or daughter? How would you describe Pedro and Carlos as a book? Well, I feel like it's a... uh, It touches on all aspects of our lives like friendships and facing our fears uh they overcome their fear to save each other the the characters are very appealing the story is moves along excitingly and i feel like just the the book itself i have never seen one child and i'm not trying to be bragging or anything but i think all the children that have read our book or had the book read to them have thoroughly enjoyed it they they go back and they look at the pictures and they really enjoy seeing my daughter's artwork and the the idea that a seven-year-old can have their own be part of their own book and have their own illustrations in the book has been very popular with the students. Oh, that's, the a, that's a great story. Have you had a chance to read this to a, a larger group of children, or has it all been individuals that have read the book? I've actually uh, traveled to around 20 schools, uh, reading to like every age group that was appropriate in the school, and and we've all we just really had a great time, and I know that. That was such a thrill to me when we first got our book back in print. And Jackie and I took it to her school and read it to all the elementary classes that were there. And she was so proud to have a part in making that book. And, it, you know, it's so special to me that we did that together. And I was so proud that we did that together. Um, and to see her so happy and in. I really like the book a lot. I think the Uh, students do. And it's just a fun book. But deep down, you catch the meanings and the themes that are in the book. It's an excellent, excellent read. There, I would think, possibly, be some other adventures Pedro and Carlos might participate in. Anything in the works for the future? Well, I have the ideas, but... There's not anything on paper yet, but I do have the ideas. And my daughter is now, she's she's older, but she is actually a lot more involved in in participating and thinking of our next story, you know, in her ideas about what Pedro and Carlos should should find themselves in. So I think it'll be a lot of fun for both of us to do it again. There may be another one in the works. Again, my author guest has been Susie Minus Tate. And uh, this book is Pedro and Carlos, written and illustrated by Susie Minus Tate and her daughter, Jacqueline Christine Renfro. Where can my listeners get a copy of your book, Susie? The book is on Amazon.com. It's also 
uh, our main publisher, our publisher is Ex Libris. It, it's available in, available in hardback, soft cover, and ebook. And they can do a search online under your last name, T A I T. First name Susie, S-U-S-I-E, middle name M-I-N-U-S, and uh, locate the book. If they can't find it at their local bookseller, they can locate it online, and they also can request it from their local bookseller, and they, I'm sure, would be happy to order their own personal copy in uh, at their request. Thank you again for joining me and sharing this exciting tale, Pedro and Carlos, and also the background story of how it got written. Love to talk to you about it and look forward to visiting with you in the future. Well, thank you so very much. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Get ready to live la bella vita with Dawn Catherine on Toginet.com. Live la bella vita. If you're wanting to know all the beauty tricks of the trade and the latest fashion trends before everyone else, this is your show. If you admire celebrities' beauty and their fashion sense, this is your show. Do you love wine and want to know more about the process it takes to make wine from the vine to the bottle? This is your show. Live la bella vita. For more on the show and your host, Check out her website, LaBellaVitaCosmetico.com. This is the kind of show you can sink your teeth into. If you enjoy traveling and food and family, all with an Italian flair, then you can live La Bella Vita with your host, Dawn Catherine. Wednesday nights at midnight, 11 p.m. Central, on Toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Today we visit with an author who is in uh, the uh, North Carolina area of the United States and who has written a book titled Hope Unveiled in the Book of Revelation. And joining me from that area is our author, Dr. Raymond J. Zeman. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you. Pleasure visiting with you. I understand you are a student of Bible prophecy by this book. Share with my listeners, how was it that you became interested in Bible prophecy, first of all, and how long it took you to complete this book, Hope Unveiled, the book of Revelation? Well, it began, I began studying the book of Revelation in probably around 1990. And the reason I wrote that, that book, uh, because so many people came to me as I was a pastor of a church that they came to me and, and they would say, that book of Revelation, I, that's such a terrible book, it's such, and, and I really don't want to read it, or it, it just upsets me so. And my answer would be, the book of Revelation is a book of hope. And so I had so many people had that, that feeling about Revelation, so I decided to write the book, and I did. And, of course, I was interested in Bible prophecy, but I really didn't become interested in Bible prophecy until uh, September uh, 14, 2013, when I had a major stroke. And I was uh, delivering a talk before the National Association of Watch and Clock Collectors, and I arrived and 
as, as soon as I walked in the door, I saw the national director who I tried to greet, I couldn't greet him. Hmm. And fortunately, within 20 minutes, I was at Mission Hospital in Asheville, and I have that uh, particular shot that, that uh, took care of the problem. But uh, afterwards, a good friend of mine who was Jewish uh, said to me, uh, uh, Ray, I'm, I'm sorry I missed your presentation. Uh, he's, he's come to all of them in the past, but he said, I am, uh, of course, you know, I'm Jewish, and that was a, a high holiday that they ever told Right. So that's what started me in the Bible prophecy. Uh, I, I had to understand what the Day of Atonement was, and I got the Jewish calendar and the Bible prophecy, and I've been basically, since that, almost two years now, I've been consumed with, with Bible prophecy. There are several phrases that are used in the uh, Christian church and Christian faith. The term premillennial, postmillennial, and amillennial. Share with my listeners what that means. What do you feel is going to happen in the book of Revelation that may be unique or different from others that have uh, spoken on this subject? Well, I'm a premillennialist, and uh, I'm, I'm very strong on that. I've, I've looked at that, and I'm an I'm a, uh, engineer of my first degree was in, in engineering. And I've looked at this from all different uh, viewpoints. And to me, that's the, the premillennials. And that is the next great event now that Christians are looking for is we call the rapture. When all believers in Christ will be raptured uh, to, to heaven. Uh, Jesus will appear in, in the atmosphere, his people will not touch the ground at the rapture and take his, his church, that's the believers, home. But following that to heaven, following that will be the seven year tribulation period. The first three and a half years will be relative peace and calm, but still there's going to be a lot of challenges. The Jews will be able to do some things. You see, that millennium is basically for the Jews. Hmm. It's not for the Christians. That's why the Christians will be honored. Uh, it will be uh, a time when the Jews will be allowed, the Antichrist will allow them to uh, begin sacrifices in the temple. And But then at the midpoint, three and a half years, then the Great Tribulation, as the Bible refers to it, will begin, because then it will be literally hell on earth. It will be just a horrible, horrible time. And that will be uh, culminated with the Battle of Armageddon, and where Christ will return with his church and set up his thousand-year kingdom on the earth. The, the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who uh, <clears throat> art in heaven, that most people are familiar with that, it, it has a reference to thy kingdom come, mm-hmm. thousand-year millennium. And then after that, uh, there will be uh, a one last uh, battle. During the millennium, Christ, it will be at the opposite. Christ will rule, and all of the believers in Christ will be with him. And at the end of that thousand years, there will be one last battle, and then the new heaven and the new earth will come in, and that's for all eternity. So that's my belief on the events that will be happening. 
Would you describe your book as something that will be of uh, benefit, certainly to to Bible scholars, but uh, just the the um, general public, the the ones who attend church or have a curiosity about church or maybe future events? Would this book be something they could understand and read and uh, benefit from? Yeah, I think uh, from the feedback that I have have received, it's perhaps one of the most understandable books. Um, uh, that's out there in Revelation. And the reason for that is I begin in chapter 1 with verse 1. And I take each verse, sometimes three or four words in the verse, and then then I explain what it means and how that they can apply it to their life. And then I go through the entire Bible, the last chapter, and after each portion of a verse or complete verse, I discuss it with references and tie it back into the Old Testament, because basically uh, this is a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament. You have uh, three hundred sixty-six pages. Yes, three hundred sixty-six pages is an excellent, uh, excellent length. And uh, if you're doing a, a, a phrase by phrase or verse by verse uh, explanation of the Book of Revelation, then this is a, a very helpful study for those who may be conducting Bible studies and that type of. Uh, oh, that's of insight. right. And a number of people and a number of churches have taken my notes on this, basically, and they've used it for a, a Bible study. There are a lot of sim- symbolic uh, ideas and concepts in the book of Revelation, uh, dragons and, and uh, mystical items and mystical uh, imagery. Have you been able to clarify in your study an understanding of those that you've shared with the people in this book? Yes, uh, it's, uh, I, I, I've taken, uh, I go back into the Old Testament because that's a fulfillment of prophecy. And take, for example, uh, in Daniel, they talk about uh, four beasts. And, of course, in the Old Testament, uh, they, the, the four beasts, uh, they, they talk in terms of, of, of a lion, uh, a, uh, a bear, uh, a left leopard, and a and a very frightful type of a beast, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, uh, it, it just it doesn't it's not any animal. And but the the, the these uh, four images, for, take for example the lion. In today's term, that lion would represent. Uh, the Great Britain, because uh, that's that's uh, and on it gives you an idea. Of, uh, uh, if you go to England, you see lions all over. Their coat of arms has it in. There's just many many places. And but the interesting thing about that eagle is that it had had wings. Mm-hmm. And and in the Old Testament, it says that those wings uh, come come out of, of, of the, uh, the lion, and it's, it's the wings basically of an eagle, and it's a, a, a country that's represented by a man. So we fast forward into Revelation, and that, that those four beasts now are combined into one beast. And 
that, that it has the, the face of the, the lion, the bear, and the leopard, and, and, and the, uh, the, the, the beast, the dragon. But the interesting thing about it is that lion, those wings are gone now. Hmm. And my uh, belief is that the, that, that's the United States that was mentioned, because in the Bible, back in the Old Testament, it says that the wings will uh, represent a nation, uh, and the United States, our image is the eagle, and it's represented by a man. And we are represented as Uncle Sam. Yes, that's but true. What does that tell us now? And prophecy that tells us then that the United States, although uh, the words aren't mentioned in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the United States, during that tribulation period, will not be a major factor, will not be a world of power. We see that happening today. Uh, the United States is uh, no longer the economic power, it's been surpassed by China. We're no longer the nuclear power. We've been surpassed by Russia. So all these things are all in the book, and it's, it makes makes our life much more hopeful and enjoyable because it tells us our life toward the end of the time of the of uh, the end times is to be full of abundance and joy. And we understand these concepts. We see what's happening in the news, and it's right out of the Book of Revelation. Everything that's happened. Uh, it's like reading reading a book of Revelation is like reading a newspaper. Uh, you get the same same sort of thing. It's interesting also that even the popular culture has, in some ways, not necessarily adapted the book of Revelation to their movies and and uh, some of their scripts, but there are some, uh, some nuances that are showing up in television and other places in the popular culture that refer to you know, events like the, uh, the end of days and the last days and that type of concept. That's right. So it's uh, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that that's coming to play, coming to uh, to fruition as well. What is your hope with this book? What is uh, besides the hope unveiled in the Book of Revelation? What is your hope that the accomplishments of your writing? My hope is that people will understand the scriptures and learn to know uh, Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and in so doing, they will have an overabundance of of peace, they will have a, a hope, and 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 that will just transcend them into the final uh, new heaven and a new earth, which all of us look forward to. That so, I I want people to have hope and peace, and living in the times we are, where we see the news of the beheading, etc. Uh, that's not to to. to and worry the, the, the believer because there's a shield around the Christian and he will be protected and God will take care of the, the believer and that's what I hope my hope for this book you know, uh, hope unveiled in the revelation will be for people to have that hope and know where they're going and, and be assured that they're going and you're continuing your, your uh, research and your Authorship by penning other books. You've got three or four in the works that shall be re- that will be released uh, soon. Uh, will they also deal with prophecy? Yeah, well, three three have been released. Okay, 
uh, and the, uh, the, the fourth one uh, will be released soon, and that's just titled God's Plan for the World Unveiled. Excellent. And I've approached that from a totally different way, uh, using through the, the eyes of, of a Jewish calendar. Oh, great. And, and, and I have, there's so many financial and economic things in the book, and, and I can uh, suggest to you that on, on September 14th, uh, that's, on, that's on Monday, uh, 2015, there's going to be, uh, uh, there, there could very well be a major financial shakeup. Interesting. And that's going to impact the entire world. And I have I have looked at uh, uh, two years before that, 2001, 2008, 2015, and I plotted day by day the Dow Jones Industrial Averages, and I have the correlation of want between the slopes of the lines on each one of those years, and and uh, and that's what points to at September 14, 2000. That should be a fascinating read when it is available also. This particular book is titled Hope Unveiled in the Book of Revelation. Our guest has been Dr. Raymond J. Zeman. Dr. Zeman, where can my listeners get a copy of this important read? They uh, can get it uh, to various bookstores, uh, through uh, 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 Amazon. It's out on the Internet. They can uh, purchase it through Exilibris. Wherever books are sold, and and it's on Google, they can Google it, and it's 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 all over. Fabulous. Yes, uh, Dr. Zeman's last name is spelled Z-E-M-A-N, so if you uh, do a search, uh, listeners, online, you can locate this book and the others that he has penned. Thank you, sir, for joining me and sharing your insight into your study of the book of Revelation, and hopefully my listeners will be enticed to get their own personal copy. Thank you again. And thank you very much. I enjoyed your time with you. My my pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is J. Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Back to Ex Libris with your host, Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, 
A Fox in the Family, and the author is Jane King, and Jane joins us now on Ex Libris On Air. Hello, Jane. Hello. It's wonderful to be on air. It's quite a story, A Fox in the Family. It's a true story. Uh, Let me just kind of set the stage by reading this statement. Uh, Rescued from an old barn that is being demolished, two gray fox cubs are captured and raised in a family with terriers and a cat. As the cubs mature, the family experiences many heartwarming and hair-raising moments. And, of course, all those are in this book, A Fox in the Family. So congratulations. Thank you very much. It took me 40 years to get it published. Uh, it was kind of like a bucket list thing to do, but uh, my two sons were two and four, and I wanted them to remember the experience. They're now in their 40s, and so they've kind of grown up knowing that I was doing this book, and, and it was my master's project in 1985, and uh, I, had, I had done the sketches and done little uh, paragraphs to remember different things. And uh, I was taking a college class on children's literature, and we had to do a slideshow. And so I did a slideshow with my sketches, and my professor just fell in love with it, Andrew Hansen. And he said, that's a master's project, and I'll be your chairman. And so I, that's the way uh, he got me a scholarship, and I got my master's degree. And on top of all that, everyone, this book, A Fox in the Family, has won five awards, and it's up for another one. Yes. Uh, the Indy Fab uh, American Library Association the, in, in San Francisco on June 26th. And I have my one of my sons is going to go with me, and uh, there are three ladies that are also going to come from Orland. So this time I will have some local people that know me when I get the award. It so, will be exciting. So let's start at the beginning. How did you discover these foxes? How did they end up in your house? Because at the beginning there were two of them. Yes. Um, we, um, we had this terrier that came from Ireland as a puppy, and she came from a hunting kennel. And I, my husband and I fox hunted on horseback, and I think there was an article in the paper, and there was a picture of Maggie, our terrier from Ireland, and it talked about that, she came from this kennel where in Ireland they have a terrier that goes down and chases the foxes out. And the local lumberman uh, had seen that article, and they knew that they had foxes in this barn underneath the floor, and they did not, not want to kill them. They hadn't seen the mother, but they had seen the babies. And so they called us and said, would we bring our terrier out and see if she would go to ground and chase them out? So we went out with with his two twin boys, and we did not take our children out because they were two and four, and we didn't know but what Maggie would kill them, um, because that's what she was bred to do, chase them out and kill them. And uh, so she, we, we didn't even know if she would go down the hole. And she went down immediately, and it was in the evening. It was after work, so this is in February around 5, 5.30. So it's getting dark. And we were able to get two fox cubs out uh, before it was so dark that we could not try to get any more. And we went back the next morning at 8 o'clock, but they had already bulldozed the barn in by that time. Even though that was quite early, they had been there 
early, and uh, the, one of the workmen caught one of the, the fox cubs, and we don't know what happened to the others, if they were just buried or what happened or what happened to the mother. But our two, we took home, and they looked like kittens, so we put a litter pan in the cage, and they used it. So <laughs> it became the house foxes. We, if you the house. act like a cat, you can be in the house. <laughs> <laughs> the house foxes, and what did you name them? Did, did that happen right away? Yes. Uh, I think we, we had them in the cage only for a couple of days, and uh, once we realized they were really using the litter pan, they came in, and we named them Frisky and Friendly Fox. They're uh, absolutely wonderful, like little little kittens. Our boys discovered them the next day, and uh, they carried them around just like you would carry around kittens, and they were so lucky and not afraid, not afraid at all. Uh, if you have ever handled a feral cat or kitten, they hiss and claw, and you would be covered with scratches. But these foxes were just totally relaxed once they realized they were not going to be hurt, and they were wonderful. Hmm. So a real acceptance by wild animals. They must have felt something in your home. I, I, it was just such a, an amazing experience that they were so tame. And uh, we just put them in our pockets when we were there, and they just snuggled down on the lining of the pocket. And when we got them home, we put them in the cage. And, uh, you know, foxes are they're out and about at night a lot. And so we, for the, at night we would put them in the garage so that they weren't scurrying around our house during the nighttime. And uh, they, uh, they found lots of stuff to get into in our garage and they would completely take all the tools off the tool bench and drop <laughs> them on the floor and drag them under the tool bench uh, <laughs> until they had all of them, you know, and so we finally just left them all underneath there uh, and because my husband, he says, well, I'm not building anything right now. We'll just leave them there because we keep dragging them out, and that's just like a game to the foxes. That was something for them to do all night long is, you know, take all the tools off and drop them on the floor and drag them underneath. It was uh, one of the things that they did that was quite amusing. So how did they react to the terriers and your cat? Well, the first, uh, of course, the terrier that uh, had uh, unearthed them, she, we did not let her in the house with them out um, because we didn't know what she would attack them. So she did not get to see them for probably two or three weeks. But uh, we did let them, let the puppy see them. And the, the cat, the cat, they loved the cat. And uh, <laughs> the cat hated them. And she scratched them immediately. But the, the thing that they did that, that kind of unnerved the dogs, and it was kind of a life-saving thing for the foxes, I think, is they had this greeting where they would run at the dog or cat scooting on the ground with their head on the ground and their uh, fanny up in the air and tail up in the air and they would make this noise <laughs> and that that just freaked out the dog or the cat and so they did not try you know they would just 
kind of snarl and jump away. Uh, they didn't want anything underneath them like that. And, of course, the little foxes were looking for nipples. They were looking for mama. And they thought the cat was really mama. And the cat just, she jumped on a chair and scratched them. And so they, it took a while for them to realize that she was not a mother and she didn't want to be a mother. And, but they, they really loved her smell above it, all everyone else. Well, that's fascinating. Of course, this is not the first animals you have rescued. I have a long list of animals that uh, we lived out in the country, and people realized that I would take injured animals in, and so we had all sorts of little animals. And after we had the foxes, I had many others. I raised a great horned owl and a ground squirrel and a magpie and three crows and and uh, so, but even though I live in a different place now, uh, and I'm in a subdivision, people still bring little birds that have fallen out of nests and whatever, uh, rabbits, uh, to my house. Would you please take care of this animal? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the rabbit was named Bathtub Bunny because I kept it in a bathtub, but I wanted it to be afraid of people. Because that's the thing, when you raise an animal, you rescue it. Sometimes you're not really rescuing it. Uh, you're just prolonging uh, a death because they become so tame and so used to people that then they, you know, come upon people that don't know that they're tame and people right. do them harm. And so bathtub bunny, I had a fly swatter and I chased the bath, bathtub bunny around the bathtub and I figured, well, when it could jump big enough to jump out of the bathtub, then I could put it back out in the wild again. And so that worked. <laughs> one, of the, one of the foxes, unfortunately, died early on. Yes. I would think probably about 10 weeks old. Uh, friends kept saying, you need to get those foxes rabies shots, you know, they could be carrying all sorts of disease. Your kids are playing with them. You need to have, you know, you need to take them to the vet. So to, to appease everyone, uh, I took them to the vet, and the uh, veterinarian said, no, they couldn't have a rabies shot. They were too young, but he would try to give them a distemper shot. He did not know what the reaction would be, but that he could do, and one of them died of the distemper shot. And so we were left with just Frisky, and the friendliest one, Friendly, died. And because she had bitten me because she was in agony, I had to take her brain, the veterinarian excised the brain and put it in a little box so I didn't have to look at it, and I had to take it to Indianapolis so that they could test it to make sure it didn't have rabies. My goodness, my goodness. Now, a very special time at Christmas. Yes. We always had a huge Christmas tree, and we decorated the tree with gingerbread and ribbon. And so I made lots and lots of gingerbread cookies. And, of course, the fox learned to grab those cookies, not only the fox but the terriers, too. And the kids would grab cookies off the tree. And we had extra dogs that came. My sister brought her dog, and my brother had his dog there. And Frisky pulled the routine of scooting underneath and making the sounds, and that just, it was a dachshund and a Manchester Terrier, 
and they were so amazed at this sound that they they did not uh, show any aggression towards her. They played with her. It was just like having more terriers. <laughs> well, you are about to see if you're going to win another award. Are there more stories concerning rescuing wild animals? Well, I would love to write something about Oscar. He was amazing, the great horned owl. Uh, he came into our horse pasture, and I wanted to do a, a painting of an owl. So I snuck out into the horse pasture, and when I took one picture, he then flew up the hill and landed on a tree stump. And so I crept up there, and I took a second picture. And it, with that taking that second picture, he flew right at me. Now, he's the size of a full-grown owl, but I, I didn't know he was a baby owl. And when he flew at me, I knocked him down with my camera because he was coming right at my face. And when I knocked him down, he ran at my legs and pulled on my pants and wiggled his wings like, I'm just a baby bird and I'm hungry. <laughs> and so we raised him, and he was, he was uh, totally tame. I thought he belonged to the nature center because you could pick him up. He was very careful with his talons, and uh, he he was again like the fox was completely tame immediately. So, how did your kids take the whole taking Frisky to the zoo? I guess that was after that was, one year. That huh? was very very difficult. Uh, we. Uh, didn't know what to do with Frisky, and so we found out that the Indianapolis Zoo wanted a gray fox, and they were very specific. They wanted a gray fox, and they wanted to use her for the petting zoo. And we told them we didn't know, but she, you know, she was a very friendly fox in our family, and everybody had carried her around and everything, so we thought she might work out for the petting zoo. But we did not know that, you know, we, she'd not been in a cage since she was little, and, of course, we took her over to the zoo in a crate, you know, a dog crate, and that disturbed her. She'd not been in the car since she'd had a, a the December shot. And then strange people, they would not let me take her out of the cage. They had leather gloves on, and they took her out of the cage, and they lost her in the zoo. She got away from them in the zoo. And I, this is in the middle of the winter, this is January in Indianapolis, and I had to crawl around on the ground making those squeaky noises to try to find her where she was in the zoo. And it took about an hour of crawling around in the snow and the ice looking under buildings, and I finally did find her and was able to capture her. And then they, they uh, then were a lot more careful uh, and they let me put her in the holding cage that they wanted, but it did not work out well at the zoo. But they were they were very good about finding uh, a way to release her later on. A fox so in the family. We've been talking to Jane King, the author and the real life rescuer of these two foxes, and friendly and frisky. Tell us how to get your book, Jane. Well, you can, of course, get the book from Ex Libris, and it's also available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, and it's available as an e-book and also a Kindle book. Thank you so much, Jane, for joining us on Ex Libris On Air. Thank you very much. 
Join Steve Jorgensen next week at the same time as he explores the passion and the inspiration behind the works of today's authors. Right here on Ex Libris On Air.